A nail-biter in Brooklyn as the T-Wolves win one that goes down to the wire. And I got Wolves expert Jack Borman. He's going to help us break it all down. It's all coming up next on the Locked On Wolves Postcast. You are Locked On Wolves Postcast, part of Locked On Minnesota on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up? What's up? Back in the lab. Back at it. Another T-Wolves postcast episode right here on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network. You got myself, Luke Inman, at Luke underscore Spinman. That's the man, Jack Borman, on Twitter, at JRBorman13. And before we get into all the action, Jack, quick reminder, tonight's episode brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more with America's number one sportsbook and official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers, you're getting $150 in bonus bets with any $5 bet. $150 when you bet just five. Check it all out. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on NBA. All right, man. Uh, Wolves on a little business trip right now in the midst of a four-game road trip, which started tonight in Brooklyn versus the Nets as they continue to try and fine-tune some things and get their winning streak back. Mission accomplished. 96-94 victory despite you know, watching that 17-point lead erased. They had to hold on to this one until the last possession, thanks to a, a missed free throw at the end. Bottom line, though, they moved to 32-13 and 13 on the year, and I know you're going to get into it. You're going to have a little vent sesh. Probably not their best performance tonight. Maybe no A-plus grades being handed out anywhere. Nonetheless, a win's a win, and you'll take it any way you can get them, especially on the road, on the back end of a back-to-back. So just kick things off to get us going here and give us your your big takeaways and big picture, I guess. What's a win like this mean for this Wolves team? Yeah, the biggest thing is that they won, right? This is a game right. where, uh, you know, there, there's no pictures on the scorecard, right? That's that's what they always say in golf, and, um, and, and this was certainly one of those games uh, for the Timberwolves. This one was uh, – you know, honestly, was just a pretty gross game for, you know, really, mo- really three quarters uh, or two and a half quarters was, was pretty gross. Um, you know, I think it kind of showed uh, that I think Anthony Edwards has a ways to go. Um, and that's not to take anything away from him as, you know, a guy who's had this, you know, meteoric rise and has been incredible for most of the season. But uh, for him to, you know, really struggle the way that he did there. Uh, I think he missed his last 11 shots um, and really just torpedoed the offense and, and totally let Brooklyn get back in the game. I mean, um, I mean, the, the whole reason the Wolves, you know, took this lead was when Anthony Edwards came out of the game mm. and uh, they had that lineup of Jordan McLaughlin and Carl Anthony Towns, Nas Reed, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and, and Kyle Anderson to start the second quarter was awesome. Um, and so I, I think that was, and that lineup really got the ball moving and that, that was what really catalyzed, um, you know, the wolves kind of taking advantage offensively. And so, um, you know, I think it's just kind of a look in the mirror game for ant one that, you know, he has to realize that, that pretty much everything he did offensively was, was pretty bad for the last two and a half quarters of this game. Um, but, but you know what, I mean, you got to give credit to Carl Anthony Towns, man, for being able to overcome, uh, you know, a pretty poor you know, game from Anthony Edwards when the offense just had no rhythm, uh, especially in that fourth quarter. I mean, I know Carl had three turnovers. A couple of them were offensive fouls, and one of them was allowed to to go bare, which, you know, 
he, he makes that pass a lot more often than he doesn't. And, and we saw the game winning pass that he had to, to go bare on that lob. But I mean, Carl was four or five in the fourth quarter. Everyone else was two of eight. He had 10 of the team's 15 points in the fourth, um, you know, finished with 27 points on, on 15 shots, made 12 of his 15 shots, really efficient game from him. Um, and something that you know, I wrote about in the preview for Canis was, you know, that he was going to have to do a lot of his work from the perimeter. Um, or, or may, I thought that might be a suggestion uh, for, for Carl, considering that Dorian Finney-Smith, who he, he was matched up with for, for pretty much this entire game, is a really, really good post-up defender. And you saw, you know, Finney-Smith really kind of rejected, you know, Cat's kind of first two, you know, trying to back him down before uh, Carl would just hit him with a really nice counter move. I thought this was a, a really well-played game from Carl on the block. Uh, I thought that uh, he showed off really his full bag of skills in the block. And people really do forget how talented of a post-up score Carl Anthony Towns is, especially sure. when he's isolated in single coverage. Um, and tonight he totally showed that. Um, and again, you know, for, for most of this game, you know, it was the second game in a row now where, where Carl has done a lot of damage inside the arc and did a lot of it without turning the ball over and did a lot of it without, you know, flailing and getting out of control and, I thought there was one offensive foul that he had called on him that was just a total BS call on a drive where, you know, it's just like a Carl Anthony Towns legacy foul, I think, more than anything. Um, so, you know, obviously you want to be able to clean that up. But but again, I you know, I thought just one last kind of big picture takeaway, I guess, is, you know, I think this game really shows the value of Jordan McLaughlin and Nikhil Alexander-Walker as backup guards. You know, I think the idea that the Timberwolves really need a backup point guard is a little overstated just because, um, you know, the bench, I think their offense has struggled so much, but I really don't think it's because, um, you know, they don't have any organizers or guys that can, you know, get the ball to, um, you know, their teammates in spots that they like to attack from or score from. I think it's more that the bench spacing um, has just been, been pretty tough in some of these blended lineups. And I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when they have that, that five that they did where you've got four, you know, four guys that can shoot it and J Mac, knock cat and Nas, and then having Kyle Anderson out there. Um, you know, I thought that was a great call from Chris Finch um, to kind of mitigate some of that spacing uh, or the spacing issues that they had had um, by putting four, four guys that can shoot out there. I honestly think that this team just needs more shooting, frankly, to be able to space the floor and allow more space for guys like Carl Anthony towns, especially when he's the lone, um, you know, five man on the floor. Uh, to get him more room to work. And, and the same um, could go for, for Nas Reed. Um, and so how they go about doing that, uh, you know, at this point, I'm not sure there's a lot of different directions they can go in, but I, I think it just kind of highlighted that for me, at least shooting and spacing is higher on the needs list than, than a backup point guard. Cause Jordan McLaughlin is playing pretty damn well right now. Yeah. I want to touch on McLaughlin here in a second, but yeah, you're right. Far from an A plus performance tonight. I think the box score can be deceiving at times, right? Like tonight you got your two stars doing most of the heavy lifting tomorrow morning. When you read the newspaper, cat and ant combined 51 points and then everyone else around them playing their part, filling their role just enough to get the wind. But like, what's the ideal scenario look like when you draw it up before every game when it comes to that stuff like what's the recipe you want to see more often with this team you mentioned more shooting more spacing is that by far and away the the one or two most obvious missing components I guess right now with this team yeah I think so I think that's that's where they run into a lot of their issues offensively is just the spacing gets bad and when the spacing gets bad mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, guys aren't cutting, guys aren't moving without the basketball, guys aren't coming to the basketball when someone, you know, is just dribbling on the perimeter in isolation or sees two on the ball. Um, so I think that's where it all starts. Um, and then, you know, really, I think in terms of what you're looking for, in terms of like the perfect, uh, I guess, kind of storm is, is what you saw in, in the first, you know, really, I mean, most of the second quarter, but for really the you know, the second quarter and the first little part of the third quarter there where, you know, you have your stars really doing all the heavy lifting offensively and working in tandem and two lead dogs and cat and ant that, you know, score the ball in very different ways, but are very effective in, in doing it. And they're both pretty mm-hmm. dynamic offensive players. And, and then you get guys like, you know, Mike Conley made a couple of threes. Rudy Gobert was doing all the dirty work, was, was de- excellent defensively at the rim was grabbing all the rebounds. Um, and then you had Jaden McDaniels too, who was doing a great job of, you know, just kind of picking his spots. Uh, he had a, he had an awesome backdoor cut uh, from the top of the key, just cut right behind his defender and Mike Conley hit him in the middle of the lane for a huge dunk. Um, you know, you need more things like that. Jaden had a nice little, you know, off the dribble, step back three in the corner, which was great. Um, and so if you can just string together enough of these, you know, Mike threes, Jaden threes, Rudy putbacks, Mike, you know, lob dunk to, to Rudy in the, in the role, like piece together enough of those kind of complimentary scoring plays on nights when Carl and Ant have it rolling. I think their offense is going to be just fine. Um, at least with the starting unit. Um, and, and then if they're able to pair it with the defense that they played tonight, I thought for the most part, their defense tonight was excellent. Um, you know, this was just a suffocating defensive performance um, from the Timberwolves. I thought, you know, they did a really good job of, you know, not only getting rebounds when, uh, you know, when Brooklyn missed, but they did a great job of not fouling as well. Um, I mean, you look at the Timberwolves, they committed 17 fouls, but uh, Brooklyn only took 16 free throws, which is pretty darn good. Um, And, you know, a lot of those came uh, late in the, or came in the fourth quarter, um, you know, when things kind of start to get tight and, you know, teams are in the bonus going harder, you know, they're, they're calling it a little more closely, things like that. So, um, I think that's just kind of the perfect storm. It's kind of having all five guys in the starting lineup kind of, you know, touching the ball and rhythm paired with this excellent defense. I think now the biggest question mark is just like, I have no idea what we're going to get from the bench uh, scoring on, on a night-to-night basis. And I think you, on, again, on that perfect night, you, you know, you get 12, 13 points from Nas Reed, six, seven points from Kyle Anderson, six, seven points from Nikhil. Um, Jordan McLaughlin maybe has five or six uh, assists, you know, things like that. But we just haven't seen all that stuff kind of happen all at once um, in, in a while from this team, which is, I don't necessarily think it's concerning just because this happens to really good teams. Um, you know, Ben Beacon talked about this in the lockdown wolves pod earlier this week. Um, you know, looking at some, some of the previous title teams going through these, these rough patches in you know, January, February, March, even. Um, so it's just a matter of, you know, how much of that perfect storm can they get 70% of it, 80% of it, 90% of it. Um, and on a night like tonight where, you know, you have it for stretches and then you really don't have it, uh, in the, in the third and fourth quarter, you're just really, uh, fortunate to come out with a win. And, and tonight's just one of those games where you just kind of look, look up to the heavens or thankful for a win and, and move on, flush it and, and get down to San Antonio on Saturday. Couple comments from the stream. I just want to run by you quick about Chris Finch specifically, get your two cents on him and where he can improve. Here's uh, let's see the first one, the monster Finch needs to stop letting them play free ball and call play. Second one, 
random planet, our go-to. Finch needs to put his foot down on the ISO and hero ball. Finch is a top-tier offensive coach, needs to prove it and start calling plays. Last one, Tang Yang. If you are Finch, you need to tell Cat and Reed to take more threes. You followed that up with, you got two big guys that can shoot threes. Both guys should be shooting seven, eight threes a game. Just quick thoughts on Finch in general. I know, obviously, easy to pick on the players a lot in this game, but what's your two cents on Finch and kind of the blame he should share in this one? Yeah, so Chris Finch is really good at the most important thing you can be good at as an NBA head coach, and that is managing personalities and players. And Chris Finch has really good relationships with all the players. They all really respect him. They all really buy into, you know, what this coaching staff um, preaches. And they really value the work that this coaching staff does. And, and that there's a reason why you see all the players, you know, on nights that they don't have it or don't look well saying, hey, the coaches came up with a good game plan. Like it's on us to execute. And so, you know, players aren't going to say that if they don't really respect and value the head coach and the coaching staff. So that's the most important thing. Um, but the second thing is, I, I forget who was the, which of the three comments said it, but Chris Finch is an excellent play caller. When the Timber, when he draws up plays after timeouts, he, he's consistently near the top in terms of his team's, you know, points per possession or offensive rating on possessions after timeouts uh, or on out of bounds plays. And, and when they do call plays like that last Carl uh, lob dunk to Rudy, that was a designed play call. Um, and they went to it and it worked. And, and I think the biggest thing for Finch, whoever said that he needs to call plays is, is spot on. You know, I think Chris Finch has earned a lot of respect from the players because he wants the players to figure it out. He wants the players uh, to play unscripted basketball because the reality is, is if you're calling plays, like let's say they obviously have more than 10 plays, but just for the sake of, you know, this conversation, like if they have 10 plays that they run and go to all the time, and they're putting those 10 plays on film all the time. You want to know what all these teams late in the season and in the playoffs are going to be waiting on those 10 plays. And they're going to call them out right away and they're going to blow them up uh, as best they can. And, and so, but if, but if you're playing this free flowing unscripted things, you know, there's certain things that you might like to do, right? You might like to get into a Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert handoff. You might like to get into a little four or five pick and roll with Carl and Rudy, but you know, if these things just kind of happen in the flow of the offense and you're able to do that successfully, it's much more difficult to defend than play calling. And so why Chris Finch wants his players to do more of this free flowing stuff now and kind of fight through some of the difficulties that they're having is so that they can learn so that they can put stuff on film for themselves, looking at certain lineup combinations or certain, you know, little handoffs or pick and rolls or off ball screens or things like that, that may happen randomly in the course of the offense that they can say like, Hey, when we're playing more free flowing, like, let's try to get to some of this stuff. And you can say, you know, it's halfway through the season. They should have this figured out by now. They've been mostly healthy the whole season. And that's a very valid criticism, but this Timberwolves team is honestly trying to practice within games. Rudy Gobert has talked about that. I've talked about the importance of that. And you know, I think it just comes down to more in the fourth quarter. I think they need to get into more play calling. I think that can kind of be a happy medium uh, when teams, you know, really start to lock in more defensively and, and you know, really try a lot harder on those final yeah. possessions. Yeah. Like you saw Anthony Edwards, horrible defensive game from Ant. Absolutely terrible. His off-ball defense was appalling. And then what does he do on that last possession? Absolutely clamps Mikhail Bridges, right? So I think when you see that increased effort in the fourth quarter, need more play calls, need more scripted stuff. 
um, you know, at least just to help you close out the game. Right. Um, so that's kind of the reasoning behind it that I, I do think that Chris Finch is a very good offensive coach. I understand completely and empathize completely with fans that may be frustrated by why there isn't more play calling. Um, I'm just trying to provide some reasoning as to, you know, the philosophy or the, the thought process there. Um, so maybe we'll see more play calling as it comes you know, down late in the season. But I mean, we've seen, we have a big enough sample size to know that, you know, in the fourth quarter, they tend to play a lot more isolation and hero ball. And, right. and while their isolation and hero ball numbers, uh, or isolation numbers are actually pretty good as a team um, in the fourth quarter, they've been awful. So mm-hmm. kind of some things to, to keep in mind there too. Yeah, well said. All right, plenty more deep dive from this one, including Nas Reed and Jordan McLaughlin's impact tonight. And that's all coming up right after this. Quick reminder, tonight's episode brought to you by BetterHelp. What are some things you want to keep the same about yourself or about your life in 2024? Where are you already crushing it? Try ditching all the New Year's resolutions and start expanding on what you already do right. Maybe that's organizing the closet or the garage. I know that's something that I'm terrible about. Well, therapy can help you find your best strengths and maximize your own specific skill set so you can finally ditch the extreme resolutions. Instead, therapy can help Make changes that really stick over the long term once and for all. If you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited for your time frame. And it's so easy, guys. All you got to do, fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. It's time to start celebrating the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on NBA. All right, the second quarter is where they really shine. You kind of touched on it. If we're going to cherry pick and hone in on one quarter, the one common denominator was off the bench, Nas Reed, Jordan McLaughlin, wasn't it? I mean, just talk to me about the bench, I guess, right now as a whole and how much they can realistically lean on some of those guys when one or more of your starters are having an off night and you need to kind of snap the team just out of a funk, get some more juice, some more energy out on the floor because, you know, I'm going to be honest, whether it's Nas or McLaughlin, and I know we're talking about two completely different players and skill sets, and I know they had a, what, seven combined points tonight and you know the last week or so offensively this bench has been inconsistent the energy though just seems to lift off when either one of those guys comes off the bench most nights yeah and that's because they infuse a lot of pace and energy and ball movement Mm. and player movement into the offense right and so you know I think I, I like to use the term kinetic energy um because there's you know a lot of different ways to and you know, infuse energy into the game, but it's all with movement, right? Whether it's player movement, ball movement, um, you know, getting downhill on the drive and kicking it out and making the defense move, um, you know, all these things. And those guys are very good at it. And, and those two make very quick decisions. And, you know, if, if you're trying to build a pyramid, right, of, you know, of what this offense, you know, looks like, or, you know, and in its ideal form, I think, you know, making quick decisions and moving the ball are, uh, <laughs> are, uh, you know, right there on, at the bottom of the foundation. Like, that's what you're starting to build off of, um, right? And those two guys are very good at those things. And so it's no surprise that, you know, the offense is uh, humming when those two guys are on the floor. And, and uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. Like, the, those two guys are really important in blow, helping to blow the game open in the second quarter. And then, you know, Nas really struggled uh, in the time that he played outside of the second quarter. But, 
Um, yeah, I think you know when you when you look at just the the second quarter, I, I think when when you think about the energy that they created, right? Something that I, I was looking at that stood out to me in the second quarter: five players scored at least five points in that quarter. Um, I didn't have time to run the numbers to see how many times that had happened um, this season, uh, but I'd, I'd imagine you could you'd be able to count it on one hand. Um, so, I mean, and just to think about this, right? And, and Pat, Ant, and Jaden were huge beneficiaries of this. Is that you know the team kind of continued that energy when the starters came back on the floor, and Cat, Ant, and Jaden had twenty combined points on a combined eight of nine shooting, uh, which was which was awesome. Uh, and then and then Nas and, and Mike had ten points on on three of eight shooting, um, so it was great to see that. And then and then in the second quarter as a whole, Timberwolves had eleven assists on fourteen made field goals and just one turnover. Um, mm, wow! And so that was a stark contrast to. I believe they had uh, they had five uh, four turnovers in the first quarter, two turnovers in the second or in the third quarter. So they really continued uh, that that play in the second quarter, you know, into the third quarter for the most part. I mean, and then in the fourth quarter, you know, seven turnovers. Uh, they had more turnovers than made shots, uh, and and they had more turnovers than assists as well, obviously. So um, yeah, it's just more about trying to, trying to find spots where you can get those two on the floor together. I really like starting the second quarter with them. I really like starting the fourth quarter, um, you know, with them, if, if you really need an offensive spark, like I felt they did tonight. And that's why you saw, um, you know, Chris Finch go to those guys, uh, to start the quarter. Um, it was the exact same lineup that started the second quarter that also started the fourth quarter. You know, it was just a shame they weren't able to replicate the same performance, but I'd like to see more of that that uh, Jordan McLaughlin, Nikhil, uh, Nas, Kyle, and Cat lineup moving forward and see if they can you know, replicate some of that second quarter success. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. A couple more notes and observations here, just combing through the box score. Rudy coming off his 29th double-double last night. He puts up 10 points and 13 boards. Conley looked fresh, maybe a little bit more pep in his step after those two games of rest. He puts up 10 points, four assists, two for three from three. And then you mentioned Jaden, man. I mean, six times in the last seven games heading into tonight, he's put up double digits. I know he had nine tonight, but still, I mean, is that the J-Mac you were hoping for at the beginning of the year? Or maybe just talk to us about him warming up offensively, what you're seeing there. And then the difference you saw with Mike Conley back on the floor to kind of help run the show tonight. Yeah, I think that, you know, when you think about what Jaden McDaniels did last year, he averaged uh, – 12 points a game last year. He's creeping back up to that number steadily. He's back up to 11 points a game now. But, um, you know, you really would have hoped that McDaniels could have uh, improved upon that number. I mean, I obviously know Carl Anthony Towns uh, coming back certainly has something to do with uh, there just being less shots available for sure. But uh, and when you saw what he was able to do last season, take advantage of some of the really small poor defenders that other teams tried to hide on him, um, he did a great job of taking advantage of those matchups and pretty quickly scoring, you know, five, seven, nine, 11 points in a quarter, um, just attacking those mismatches until the opposing coach made an adjustment. So you're hoping that you could mix some of that in with just a growing skill set as a whole as part of his natural basketball development with, you know, a little bit more of an improved handle, uh, some more off the dribble shot making stuff, which we've seen flashes of this year, but not enough. Um, and you would have hoped he'd been able to get to the rim more off the dribble. And that hasn't happened. Um, you know, and I tweeted it during the first half. I mean, Jay McDaniels, when he cuts is a great cutter. He's got great hands. Um, he's, he's really slithery in the lane, can get around guys, can finish on the lob, can finish, you know, on the roll, has great touch around the rim. 
And he just hasn't been able to kind of piece all those things together to more consistently score, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 points a game. Um, like I was hoping he would have. So it's been a little bit of a disappointment in that regard, but obviously he's scored at least nine points, I think now in the last eight games, seven, eight games, which is really important. So um, you, you hope that he can kind of continue to snowball that now that this is, this is the most kind of prolonged, um, you know, stretch of offensive success we've seen from him so far this season. So you'd hope that, you know, continuing against some of these teams that, you know, aren't as good on the defensive end, he can continue to take advantage of that. Um, you know, as we move forward here, just because, you know, the more scoring the Timberwolves can get outside of Cat uh, and Ant, especially on nights when the bench is struggling, it's going to be really important. Uh, and then for Mike Conley, um, yeah, you know, there just wasn't quite as much of Mike Conley initiating the offense tonight, yeah. um, which was fine. I, th- I think it was important that, you know, some there were some plays in the fourth quarter where you could see Ant was kind of dribbling for four or five seconds, then was like, oh, shoot, where's Mike? Where's Mike? Where's Mike? So it was nice that you know, we had that outlet and he, he exercised it a couple of times. Um, but again, it was another night where I just think, um, you know, Mike Conley's three point shooting uh, was, was pretty valuable. Um, you know, had a, had a great uh, corner three uh, late. I think it was late in the second quarter, right before the buzzer went off. And then, uh, and then had a, you know, made a three early in the game. I just don't think he was as assertive as we normally see him. Um, you know, we had three assists in the first quarter. He only had one the rest of the game. Um, and I think that just had to do with more with, you know, cat and ant taking the reins. And I, I think, you know, Mike, if, if you've, you know, obviously none of the fans have spent any time talking to Mike, I've spent a good amount of time talking to Mike in the locker room. He's a pretty soft spoken, you know, not a super confrontational guy by nature. He's incredibly nice. He, uh, you know, obviously we don't see him behind closed doors and what he says to these guys. But you would hope that at some point he just kind of snaps at Anthony Edwards in some of these moments. And it's like, dude, like, come on, like, quit this. Give me the ball. Let's get organized. Let's cut out the ISO. I mean, I think Ant missed like his last 11 shots and he missed seven in a row in the third quarter. I mean, you'd hope that if anybody that Mike can get through to him. So you'd, you'd like to see Mike be a little bit more assertive. But then again, you know, you have to cut him some slack. Didn't play last night because he wasn't feeling great. Uh, definitely could. Uh, you know, Jim Pete and Michael Grady said on the broadcast that he did not look good on the plane to Brooklyn last night. Um, oh, wow. And that he was wearing a mask. So, mm. you know, shout out to Mike Conley for for wearing a mask and, uh, you know, not, you know, hopefully knock on wood, not getting any of his teammates sick and, and mm-hmm. you know, being respectful and responsible about that. Um, but, you know, we'll see what he looks like on on Saturday. But but obviously, you know, 10 points. Uh, four assists, you know, efficient night for him. Just, just would have liked to see him be a little more assertive. But again, uh, don't know how much uh, more he had in the tank than than what he kind of showed us um, showed us tonight. All right, quick look at the schedule and what's on deck, and it's all coming up right after this. Quick reminder, tonight's episode brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more with America's number one sportsbook and official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers, talking to you, you're getting $150 in bonus bets when you place any $5 money line wager. That's $150 in bonus bets when you throw down just $5 on any bet. You don't even have to win. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, no better time to get in on all the action, the app, so, so easy to use. And they got everything you need. Money lines, parlays, prop bets, over-unders, you name it. They got it. FanDuel's got everything you need to bet on the entire NBA season. And it's by far the easiest and simplest betting app to use. Go check it out for yourself. 
Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn today. America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. All right, back to the Wolves now. Here's the million-dollar question here. And we could probably spend a whole episode on this, so give me your 60, 90-second at most take here. But big picture, how do they get this 19th-ranked offense to catch up to the number one defense? And yes, I'm not actually saying they need to have the number one offense, obviously, but how do they improve enough to become not such a lopsided unit, sneak the offense, just baby it up there, the top half of the league, top 12-ish, top 10, somewhere in there. Is it the players? Is it the talent? Is it the coach? Do they need to pull a trade? Uh, Put your Coach Finch hat on here and just break that down in 60, 90 seconds. Yeah, I think it starts with Carl Anthony Towns shooting eight or nine threes a game. He's at 5.1 right now. He's shooting a career high 43.6% from three. Uh, If Carl Anthony Towns converted two and a half or three drives into two and a half or three more three-pointers, instead of averaging 22 points a game, he'd be averaging closer to 26 or 27. That's just pretty simple math, you know, shoot analytics at me all you want to, but that's pretty simple fix in my opinion. Um, I do think they need to make a trade. They definitely need more bench scoring because even though in the playoffs, you know, you're only playing eight guys generally, you know, starters are generally playing damn near 40 minutes a game. Um, You just need more options. Right. And uh, the Timberwolves just don't have that off the bench right now in terms of scoring because on nights that Nas Reed doesn't have it, it's really bad. Uh, I think you you definitely could play Troy Brown Jr. more to kind of get some more spacing, some more mm-hmm. shooting, some more scoring out there. That's something that I'd like to see. But uh, they've been trying to play Shake Milton a little more to kind of buff up his trade value a little bit. So um, I think late in the games, putting the ball in Mike Conley's hands, um, getting more empty side pick and roll with a you know no one in the corner and then running a pick and roll kind of from the slot uh, is something they did a lot last year down the stretch that was phenomenal. I'd like to see them get back to that more. Mike can get to the baseline, kick it to the corner, and then get Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns playing off the catch or playing in spot-up situations, which they're really good at. Um, so I'd like to see more of those things, um, you know, coupled with, you know, trade either for, you know, more shooting, um, more scoring off the bench, um, and then maybe a, another buyout guy, whether that's another ball handler or even more shooting and scoring off the bench, I think would be um, really valuable. But I think Carl Anthony Towns upping his three-point volume like he has been in, in recent um, recent games has been huge and, and something we'd certainly you know like to see continue in an upward trend. Well done tonight, my man. As always, appreciate the insight. Wolves win a nail biter, beat the Nets 96-94. They moved to 32 and 13 on the year. Tied with OKC for the lead in the West going into tonight. Wolves get the win tonight, obviously. OKC with the night off. They got the Pelicans tomorrow night. Wolves back on the road Saturday in San Antonio versus the Spurs. Tip off for that one. 7:30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Go ahead. And the Nuggets. Uh, Nuggets got smoked, you know, huh? Half a game back, I think, of the Wolves coming into tonight. They lost by 38 points uh, at wow. Madison Square Garden tonight, 122 to 84. Wow. Top of the West having some some difficulties and trouble in New York at Madison Square Garden this year. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. Just pulled it up. They were a half game behind the uh, the lead in the West. So, well, well said. All right. Again, uh, another rematch with OKC now just two games away as well. So, everyone's that. Got that one circled on the schedule coming up. As always, huge shout out to everyone that joined us in the postcast. Always love the feedback, the comments after every game. And rest assured, we'll be back each and every game, same time, same place right here to break it all down. Remember, go check out all of Jack's work on Twitter at JRBorman13. Make sure you check them out on the Minnesota basketball party with the full crew. I love these guys. Sam Ekstrom. 
Gophers legend Ron Johnson, Kara Levins, Reggie Wilson. New episode of that dropped yesterday afternoon. And if you haven't already, Ben Beacon ripping it up over on the Lockdown Wolves podcast each and every day as well. That'll do it for us tonight. He's Jack Borman. I'm Luke Inman on Twitter at Luke underscore Spinman. Until next time, signing off.